Welcome back to Officially Unofficial. I'm your host, the former face of junior college baseball, the fall American Johnny Junta, and we're here with a very, very special guest. He is a major league legend, an OG, that has played in the big leagues for 17 years and counting on 14 different teams. He's a World Series champ. Is that good? A major league all-star and threw a no-hitter in 2010 for the Arizona Diamondbacks. It is my pleasure, man, to welcome Edwin Jackson to the officially unofficial podcast. What is up, Edwin? What's going on? I'm, I'm glad to officially be here. Uh, that's a hell of a <laughs> hell of an intro right there, bro. Hell of there an is, intro. Man. Exactly, man. So what have you been doing in this quarantine? I mean, this, you, you're not playing baseball right now. It's the first time you haven't been playing baseball in like in May, which is insane, right? Right. It's crazy, man. Uh, hey, pretty much, man. I've just been I've been consuming myself with the family, man. Uh, it's not it's not too often I get a chance to be here with the kids uh, this time of the year. You know, this frequently as well. So uh, I've been doing that, man. Uh, become a feel like I've become a tutor. I'm an at-home teacher, <laughs> doing the homeschooling with the kids and uh, working out, man. Uh, home workouts, water jugs, kids, swimming pool. You know, finding a way to keep the body moving. Um, aside from throwing and playing, catching, running. You know, just finding ways to keep the body moving, man, and stay in motion. What has been the hardest thing for you in the off season for 17 years? What's been the hardest? transition that you've had to make as you get older in the major leagues i think uh, i mean for, for me to working out was never a problem um it's just trying to uh juggle the time with the um you know making sure that i'm not too much away from the family too much away from the kids doing workouts and everything um is this a deadline between you know trying to juggle being in being in their lives enough and, and you know still perfecting my craft at the same time uh so when you're at home in the offseason, you're trying to mix in being as much with the family as you can, but still, you know, keeping the workouts in and, and having to be away, you know, perfecting the craft at the same time as well. So just kind of mixing that in and making sure I'm around enough, you know, for the kids to really embrace me being home, you know, which is, is pretty special because now, you know, nobody can do it. This is all we have to do is be around the family and be around the kids, you know, and embrace this time right here. Do your kids, like, know how big of a name you are, like, or that you're a big leaguer? Because let me just say this before you answer that. If my dad played in the big leagues, I would flex on that so much wherever I went. Like, I would go to the bar, and I'd say, like, my dad plays in the show. Or I would go wherever and say, like, my dad's a big leaguer, just to kind of flex it off. Do your kids know Do your kids know that you're a big leaguer or, like, they have a little bit of understanding, like, my dad's as big as he is? Uh, I feel like it just happened this past year, uh, 2019, you know, with my son being in second grade, going to school and the kids come around like, oh, your dad is this, your dad is that. Uh, before then, he was he, he was kind of, you know, it was, it was whatever, you know, it was he wasn't really aware. He knew what I did and he understood it, but he didn't really grasp the concept of what I was doing. You know, it's it was so normal to him that he didn't really understand it until he got around friends at school and everything and then they start talking and then he comes home he's like are you famous and i'm like nah I'm famous. <laughs> <laughs> you know because we we keep a real loose chip around here around our house man we keep it pretty normal um as as far as normal can be you know obviously we have some things that's not normal but and i try to reiterate that to him as well that the life they live isn't normal you know uh the stuff they have is a lot of people that's not um afforded with these luxuries that they have so i try to keep them as grounded as i can and make sure that they don't get too beyond themselves with, with everything we have and you know i try to keep it as normal as possible no i respect that man i mean you gotta like it, it, these kids are probably like just they're just living lavish they're living the dream but i but i wanted to get into your career usually i kind of start this off with like your childhood when you realized you're a dog and stuff but you have such a like a, a long major league career that I wanted to start with your major league career. So you make your debut, I believe it was in Arizona against the Diamondbacks. You're pitching for the Dodgers, whatever. Stats guy, I can't believe I remember that. I was watching this, and I'm like, man, you look so young there. Like, you're throwing gas. You just look like an absolute dog, like you belong in the major leagues. What was running through your head, man, when you're making that debut? You've been grinding a sixth-round draft pick, and you're in the big leagues looking around. You're like, damn, man, I'm in the show. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, 2003 debut birthday. Just turned 20 that day. Uh, man, honestly, everything happened so fast. I didn't even have time to be nervous. It, I mean, it was it was all like a blink of an eye. Like, boom. Okay, you pitching in a show against Randy Johnson, uh, and I'm like, damn. All right. So I'm like, I mean, 
here we go. You know what I'm saying? Here we go. I mean, I'm on a team. I'm 20. I'm the youngest dude on the twin team. Um, youngest dude in the league at the time. So, I mean, you got guys walking around like, hey, man, you youngest my kids. And I'm like, damn. <laughs> but uh, honestly, man, it, it happened so fast and it happened so quick. Um, I was at home. I think a lot of people don't even know, man. I got called. I was at home. The double A season was already open. So I had already went home. You know, um, I wasn't even from a field, and I had to go to Oklahoma with the pitching coordinator, Mark Brewer, and throw a couple bullpens there before I met the team in Colorado. Um, so I went literally from about to take a trip to Detroit to um, see some family to uh, taking a trip to Oklahoma, then meeting the team in Colorado, pitching in Arizona. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm necessarily pretty couch from the couch, but our season had been done about oh, two weeks before. <laughs> so... I mean, you pretty much come from the couch to, okay, now you pitched in the show. So, man, I mean, but it was fun, man. I, I couldn't have asked for a better birthday, that's for sure. On the, this podcast, we talk about the off-field stuff. Right. I want to talk about the rookie initiation that went on in the early 2000s. Like, what was it like? Like, was it just hilarious shit that went on? I'll tell you what, man, the rookie, the rookie dress-ups got real watered down from when I came up. Uh, when I came up, it was, <laughs> it was no limits. You know what I'm saying? It was no limits. I've seen dudes in Hooter outfits going to Hooters and serving people and legit in the Hooters outfits, the tight shorts and the, the hoodie, hoodie, I mean, Hooter shirt. Um, I've dressed up as a girl twice. Um, I've been a Las Vegas cigar girl serving people on the plane with the, um, with the shimmer and shine, the prom gloves. Uh, I've been a bumblebee. <laughs> I've been a bumblebee. And, I mean, this were times where it was all rules applied. Whatever they wanted to dress you in, they could. Um, it, it was no rules being held back. So, uh, I mean, I, I dressed up two three times. And, and we just embraced it, man. I mean, I'm a rookie. I'm a young dude. I'm not getting mad. I'm just happy to be in the league. So, you know, have a couple beers and embrace it. <laughs> but, uh, no, nah, we, we had some good costumes, man. I mean, we in San Fran dressed up like – dressed up like a cigar girl and everyone just met up and we went to we had to go to the field like that the next day too so we had to keep our costumes to go to the field like that the next day before we got our clothes back oh dude like and that's what i kind of i i, I kind of miss about sports this is like ragging on like the rookies like that we yeah. used to do that in college obviously we used to get the we used to shave the rookies heads do whatever we wanted with the rookies which is just electric but what do you think is the biggest change you see now compared to what it was in like 2003, 2004 when you were playing? Because I know back in the day, right, I mean, a pitcher would carve on the mound. You'd see him in the clubhouse doing an interview. He'd have a beer in his hand, just relaxing like he just pitched in a slow-pitch softball game. So right. what's, like, what's the biggest difference that you see from then to now in the clubhouse or off the field? Man, I think the biggest difference is the age. Um, when I was coming up, 26, you were young. They were saying, young so-and-so making his debut at 26. Um, 30, the early 30s were the prime. And now the game is, is, is transcended to is younger, is quicker, is faster, to now when you're in the late 20s, you're in your prime. Um, so that, that's definitely the biggest change that I've seen. Um, I mean, I got lucky and skipped through a few levels, but you have to prove it every year and every level that you're ready for the big leagues. And uh now dudes are having chances to get that clock started a lot earlier. And, and you, I mean, look how many 20-year-olds you see in the game right now, 20, 21, 22, everywhere, excuse me, every team. You know, back when I came up, it's, you might have seven to ten people on the team with ten-plus years. <laughs> yeah. Three years in, and they still look at you like a rookie. It's honestly insane like that you mentioned that too because you see guys like Juan Soto who's just mashing in the World Series. Like, he's just like – he should have like – borderline World Series MVP guy that's just nasty at baseball. So I wanted to ask you this. Being a guy that's, like, been in the majors for so long, do you kind of take that role as, like, the the godfather, like the movie, when you're in the major leagues? Like, people are coming to you for advice. People are reaching out to you for advice. Um, if so, I let it be bestowed on me. I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't really go in, into a clubhouse demanding attention or demanding to be a leader. Um, I'm more sort of a white leader, man. Uh, I just do my thing, and if – and if someone has something they need help with, I'll, you know, I'll quietly grab some people and bring them to the side here and there. But uh, it's, more for, it's more for personal reasons and not necessarily to have someone looking up to me as a leader. But um, I just do my thing, man, and I lead by example. You know, I'm just one of the ones like, hey, you watch him and you can learn things. If you want to talk to him, obviously he'll talk to you. But if you watch how he goes about his business, then you can learn a lot of information from, you know, sitting there watching him. 
I felt like you kind of took that role when you were like the 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 short time that you were on the Blue Jays. This is a Canadian podcast, by the way. So right. shout out the Blue Jays. They're, I mean, they're young, right? And you kind of took that role, and there was it was just there's a ton of young guys, and then you got Edwin Jackson there, the OG, the Godfather of baseball. Kind of just, I feel like you were mentoring those kids on the team last year. Is that how it kind of felt like? Yeah, I felt that, man. Obviously, the numbers weren't where I wanted them. Um, the performance wasn't what I wanted, but. I was able to still, you know, pass information on the players that goes beyond the numbers in the game, stuff that, that you can't um, put a price on on the field. Um, I'm sure somebody there that I've touched, that I gave them some kind of piece of information, you know, to help them along the way or tell them something or show them something that can help them get better. Uh, and, that, and that's what a game comes to, man. As, as a veteran, sometimes it goes beyond what you can do on the field. That's half of the battle. Obviously, you want to go out and perform, number one, but information that you can pass along to help someone get better um you can't put a price on that exactly man and it's like it, it, it's crazy if you look at it like what i say when i look at your like your baseball reference page it literally looks like a bible with all the stats we have here and one thing that i wanted to bring up is 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 when you were on the tigers man that tigers team was just like, because I'm from obviously you're from Toronto, we're pretty close to Comerica, so I got an opportunity to watch you pitch a couple times in Comerica. That team was insane. I mean, you had Verlander, who was a dog, you had you, who was carving all star, whatever, and then you had a guy, Maglio Ordonez, who was my favorite player growing up. What was that team like, man? Just playing with all those guys that were disgusting at baseball and Jim Leland. Man, that was that was a fun team, bro. Uh, the chemistry we had on that team. Man, it, it was undeniably, you know, crazy. I mean, we went out and we played, and we played hard. And we had Jim Leland, who was a firecracker. You know, he'd come in, he'd blow everybody up, and you still love him the next day. You know uh, you know where his heart is. He wants to win. And the talent that we had on that team, I mean, you had Porcello coming in as a rookie, doing the things he did, and, uh, you know, being able to come behind Verlander and myself and, and soak up a lot of baseball. I mean, you had Armando Galarraga in that rotation. Um that was man. That was a lot of fun, and that that was a lot of fun. That team. It was crazy how it ended. You know, with a one-game playoff <laughs> against yeah. Minnesota. That that was one of the craziest. That's one of the craziest endings to a season that I've had, man. Uh, but that team, man, that team was fun. I was I was honestly surprised that they broke it up the next year. It, it kind of caught me off guard that they broke that team up to how we were playing. You can't build chemistry. You can't buy chemistry. You can have as many top contract players if you want to on the team, but you can't buy chemistry. That's something that has, has to be formed organically. And you see that these days. I mean, with the Nationals last year, was guys that were just got, all got along and stuff. And I wanted to ask you about a guy that's like a, one of my favorite baseball players is based off like how his antics on the mound is Fernando Rodney and his hat. Did he ever try, <laughs> to, did he ever try to get you to kind of a little bit do that little hat wag to the right a little no. bit? Did he try to, he try to convince you no. to do that? He he doesn't do it for fashion, you know. He does it for a personal reason. So he has he has a personal meaning behind that. I think a lot of people, he's a super misunderstood guy because you look at him on the other side and you think, okay, he's a showboat, he's a show off. He he does the hat, he does he shoots the arrows. But I have never seen a teammate that played with Fernando Rodney that has one bad thing to say about him. Um, that dude is man. This dude is a class act. He's a real OG in the game. Uh, and to play with him, the things you learn and, and the, the, his philosophies behind what he does and his reasoning behind what he does, man, that, that dude is full of knowledge. That's one of my guys in the game, man. Uh, I learned a lot from, from Fernando. And, and the people that I like, get only get mad at what Fernando Rodney does are just those loser guys that like the way baseball is played in the 1950s when they threw 60 miles an hour. Like the guys that like for I love Fernando Rodney, bro. I love the antics. I love the narrative in the game of baseball. For he'll gas a guy up, throw high fastball, gas a guy, and then he'll do shoot the arrow. I love it. It creates a little bit of narrative in the game of baseball, man. I don't know what you think about that, or have you seen guys man, get a little bit mad about that? Seen it all. I mean, I've seen games from different perspectives, and I think in baseball, I think so many people have already asked about him that they don't necessarily get mad about it anymore because they know it's is somebody play with him. As a player, you start asking about people, hey, how is this dude? How is that dude? How is he? You know what I'm saying? Is he a jerk? Is he cool? And once the word get around it, how somebody is, I mean, because you think about it, you ever watch him close a game, he does the arrow, but you never see him get super excited. You never see him fist pumping. You never see any of that when he walk off the mound. It, regardless of what the inning goes, how big it was, the, the only thing you see from him is an arrow. 
and there's never any other answers. It's not that you see some people coming off and they're screaming and they're yelling and you know they're telling people to go sit down and all that. You don't see that from him. All you see is the arrow. <laughs> that's just that's that's his that's his move. That's his signature move. Oh, he's a dog, man. I mean, he's one of those guys that I would just love to just talk to in an interview because he probably has so many stories of, of stuff that people have said to him. And I also wanted to ask you about a legend in the game, a manager, like you said, that just is known for ripping guys apart but being a, a, a player's manager, Jim Leland. Did you realize when you are playing for him how high his pants were up on his body? Like, they were borderline above his belly button. That's the one thing that I noticed with him. Did you notice that? Uh, I never really paid attention until I got there. Uh, Jim, Jim, man, Jim is one of a kind, man. That dude right there, I mean, he, he brings the most out of players because he would come in and he would get on everyone. He wouldn't just get on the small tier players. He'd get on Miguel. He'd get on Miguel. He got on Brandon Edge. He'd get on Verlander. He'd get on myself just because he expects the most out of you. And I feel like a manager who would get on their top players Everyone it trickles down to everyone else that respect game. Like, okay, he's not just getting on, you know, the rookies, or he's not just getting on the middle player. He's getting on everyone the same, just because his the expectations that he has for everyone is at the highest level, and he expects us to go out and win. But I tell you what, when you winning, that dude is a lot of fun too, man. He 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 knows the game. He's a lot of fun. I've seen him rattle some people up though, but I mean, he come and give you the hug the next day. <laughs> you know? The thing about Jim Leland is, which is insane, is I feel like he's the kind of manager that's so old-fashioned that you'll go into his office and he'll be ha- just ripping a cigar. Was he one of those guys? Uh, Jim, Jim, he like he he have a heater. Oh, I- Old school dude, he <laughs> have a heater. What you want, kid? What you want, kid? How you how you feeling? You know, old school player, old school player, hard nosed manager, expects the best out of you. Get on you when he needs to. You know, he, he's not afraid to get on your ass when he needs to. You know what I'm saying? To, to light you up and get you going. But as a player, we need that. I feel like baseball is the only sport where we're not getting necessarily ripped apart like basketball or football. You look at football, they steady getting yelled at. Every place somebody might be getting yelled at. Basketball, those they, the, the coaches, they get in them in the huddles. Baseball is here and there. And obviously, we play so many games, it's hard to do it the whole season. But, you know, um, it's just a different game. But he would come through the clubhouse and he would light some people up. And it's not personal. It's nothing personal. <laughs> exactly. And I wanted to talk about the All-Star game because you made the All-Star team last that year. And which which is also, you were the first, you're the first ever All-Star, I believe, that came on this podcast. So I just want to wish you congratulations on that. It's a massive honor. Uh, you might have to put uh, that on your resume or something like that. First ever, I mean, first ever All-Star on the Fish and Official podcast. And I just wanted to talk about that team that you were on. I mean, that American League team, I was, I literally was just watching you pitch. And you threw four pitches, which is maybe I'm going to start the narrative that you are the most efficient pitcher in Major League history in the All-Star game. Four pitches, zero ERA, low whip. Yeah, that team had Derek Jeter. That team had, uh, I believe, it. who else did it have? Michael Young. That team was just disgusting. I mean, you had Felix Hernandez. What was it like being on that line? And you're around all Hall of Famers, man. It's insane. Man, that was crazy, man. That's that's one of the things if if... I could ever take my son to, I would like him to enjoy like an all-star game, the all-star festivities, um, both of them, as a matter of fact. But man, you look around the clubhouse, I just went in the all-star back the other day and autographs I had that I didn't even know I had from Grinky to uh, Felix to uh, Mariano Rivera. I'm like, dang, I got three Hall of Famers soon, a Hall of Famer be in, in his hat. I mean, Grinky's probably going to be a Hall of Famer at some point. Felix, possibly, possibly a Hall of Famer, um, Possibly Hall of Famer, uh, Mariano. Everybody knows he has. It speaks for itself. But just to look at some of the stuff I had, and you sit around in the clubhouse, and you and I, you're like, dang. Like I pitch against these dudes all the time, but to be in the clubhouse with them is dope. It's dope, man. <laughs> and when did you find out that you made the All Star team? Because that year, man, you had, the, I believe it was the second lowest ERA in the AL or the major leagues. So when did you find out that you are an All Star and that Edwin Jackson is playing in the All Star game in St. Louis? I want to say I found out the next to last, next to last day when the pit, well, when they came out with the pitchers, when I found out, honestly, I didn't think I was going to make it. I only had five wins. I was like, dang, I got five wins. It's a manager's pick and, and coach's pick. Um, I was like, I just got I just got uh, traded from Tampa Bay. <laughs> so, and I know, uh, I was like, Joe Madden is the main the main head manager. 
I'm like, okay, I may have a chance with that, but I'm like, I only have five wins. You know, it's not too often you see a pitcher go to the All-Star game with five wins. But I was like, everything else, I'm leading up into it. Everything else, I'm top three to top five with all my other numbers. So I'm like, I definitely have a chance. Uh, Verlander, obviously, he was balling too. So I'm like, now they maybe take two pitches from this team. But uh, we all found out the same day, man, and that was a dope feeling to see that packet sitting in your locker, you know, saying that you've been selected to the All-Star game. Man. That was one uh, something that's super memorable in my career. And, and throw four pitches. You know, I've had, I have people call me like, did you pitch? I missed it. I'm like, man, I threw four pitches, <laughs> you know, four pitches in an All-Star game and it was gone. It, if you blink, you missed it. And I can go enjoy the festivities even more. I mean, it's all right, man, because like I said, we're starting the narrative and ho- hopefully we have your approval here that you're the greatest All-Star pitcher in Major League history. I mean, zero ERA, four pitches. I mean, the great, the lowest ERA in history of the All-Star game. So, I, you could take it how you want it with that, man. I mean, that that's what we're going to call you. Maybe the least amount of pitches, for sure. Most pitches in a no-hitter, the least amount of pitches in an All-Star game. <laughs> <You know? laughs> exactly. Right. And when and when you make it to the All-Star game, like, are you allowed to pop bottles and, like, celebrate? Or did you have to go uh, straight to St. Louis right after? Most of the time, uh, most of the time, you don't see too much popping bottles and celebrating work for an all-star game. If anything, people telling you back, you better bring us back some all-star t-shirts and uh, we're going to put our order in for this or for that. Uh, but it's more just a, a small team congratulation. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a small congratulatory uh, celebration. Okay, and then you get traded, and I believe you, I believe from Detroit you got traded to uh, the Diamondbacks, went, right? Was it Di- I went to Arizona. Right. You went to the Diamondbacks, and an- here's another first for the podcast. Maybe we should do like an alert, like da na na da na na. You were the first <laughs> ever guest that that has thrown a, a no hitter in, in the major leagues on this podcast. We've had a couple of minor leaguers do it. So you throw a no hitter with the Diamondbacks, and I'm watching the video, and I see one of I had posters of this guy growing up, a legend. Dontrell Willis is the first guy running up to you celebrating that you just threw a no-hitter, man. What is the D-train like before we go into your no-hitter? I I need to hear about this guy. That is my guy. That's my dog right there. That's my dog. I'm talking to him all the time. That dude right there, man, D-train is the most animated person that I've seen on the mound. Uh, But what a lot of people don't know about Dontrell, this dude is super intellectual. He's super smart. His baseball IQ is through the roof. Um, the way he knows about the game and what he knows about the pitching aspect part of the game and the work that he puts in, I don't think a lot of people know, you know, how much work he put in to, to do what he did in the game. And I don't think a lot of people realize some of the stats that he had when he was coming up as a young dude. I mean, you're talking about second and Cy Young, rookie of the year, helped taking the team to uh, win a, a World Series. A lot of people don't realize the stuff he the accolades that he had under his belt, you know, a 20-game winner, Black Ace. This dude right here, that's my man. That's who I looked up to, you know, coming up. We were all playing against each other, but I looked up him to help drag me along the way to his success. Oh, dude, he was a that's cheat code in all in all the video games, man. Like, Dontrell Willis, you put that guy in the video game, and it's game over. <laughs> like, when that guy, his little leg kick, his little shimmy, he's a legend, man. And like I said, I usually have, like, a Mount Rushmore of guys that I want to get in this podcast. And he's one of those guys, man, because I feel like him and I have the kind of the same electricity, the same amount of energy going on here. And I feel like that would just be flames. So I wanted to talk about your no-hitter, though, because you not many people can say that also, man. A small percentage of people that ever lived on this planet have thrown a no-hitter in the major leagues. How cool was that for you, man? What was running through your head when the inning keeps going by and by and you have no hits on the board? Man, honestly, man, that was the worst, best, most exciting, ugliest um most astonishing day that I'd had in one game. Uh, honestly, I was just trying to get through one inning at a time, man. I was trying to figure out a way how to get through the first inning. How can I get through the second inning? I mean, I had eight walks. Uh, third inning, I walked the bases loaded. So I'm like, dang. <laughs> the bullpen warming up the whole game. The bullpen literally warmed up the whole game. Somebody was warming up. And uh, I'm talking to people the whole time. It's probably the most unorthodox no-hitter um, that people have seen, um, for sure, because – Usually in a no-hitter, people don't want to talk to you. Everybody's being superstitious, like, don't talk to the pitcher, don't talk to the pitcher. But I'm talking the whole game. I'm like, literally, I'm talking the whole game. Talking to the manager, talking to the catcher, talking to players, talking to everyone, just because people forgot I had a no-hitter. You had eight walks, it was overshadowed by the eight walks. Look up in the seventh inning, and I'm like, damn, 
I got a no hitter going on. I still wasn't aware of how many pitches, but I'm like, umpires. I mean, I heard stories later where umpires like, why is this kid still in the game? He got a hundred some pitches. Then they look up like, oh shit, he got a no hitter going on. <laughs> so, I mean, it's to the point where umpires don't even realize this is no hitter going on, man. But nah, that's challenge that I write. That done trail the first one to run into the mound. You know, that, that's my boy with a smile bigger than mine. Like, hey. <laughs> He do uh, yeah you you both man I mean I feel like he could still pitch in the show like I feel like Dontre Willis now can still carve in the show just how nasty he was hey, when he was in the show give him a ball he's gonna he's gonna sure try with the high leg he said let him tell it his leg kick ain't as high he said he got bad hips now <laughs> he said <laughs> due to age the leg kick ain't as high but no nah, this man this man is super smart man he he could for sure do something around baseball but I mean look at this calling now he commentating this dude is. He's a Charles Barkley of baseball. You know, he can go out there. He's animated and funny, charismatic, and he brings a lot of energy to the show. When you're throwing, like, a, a no-hitter like you were, and people don't get this. You threw 149 pitches. There was probably a, a man in the front office saying, get this guy out of the game before we have to pay some serious medical bills to get him a yeah. surgery. What, yeah. are, is part of you saying, like, do you have to tell the coach, like, you better not take me out of this game, man. I, like, you better keep me in this shit. Oh, yeah, I told him. I told him. I, he was like, you know, I think it might have been sixth or seventh inning. He's like, you know what, EJ, we have a uh, we have a little problem. We have an issue. I was like, no, we don't have an issue. I said, I don't, I don't argue with managers, AJ. I definitely don't argue with managers about coming out of the game, but I ain't coming out this game until I give up a hit or a home run, which everyone come first. And, and that was pretty much our conversation. And I was probably kind of lucky that he was a rookie manager, some managers, and they were like, you know what, I would have taken you out the game. I said, I wouldn't have had a no-hitter. You know, I mean, it's like, hey, don't take me out this game, man. Like, I ain't coming out the game. Like, I ain't coming out. You're going to warm somebody up? I'm running back on the mound. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's, it's a once-in-a-lifetime chance. And if the manager – and I feel like the manager, when they come up to you and say we're thinking about taking you out, they're kind of testing you to see, like, how bad you want that. You know what I mean? Like, that's what – they're not really wanting to take you out, I feel like. No, nah, I ain't coming out. I don't come, I'm sure everybody in the world wanted me to come out. I'm sure every other GM was looking like – why is he still in the game? Who cares about his no-hitter? But I care. I'm like, hey, that, like you say, those chances happen once in a lifetime. How many people you've seen go eight and two-third and then give up a hit? You know? I'm yeah. Like, oh, I'm trying to finish this out. Now that I've accomplished it, it can't be taken away. You know? And the eight walks, that much more improbable. You know? Like, the odds are really stacked up against me because I know I don't face more batters. Exactly, man. Like, it's not your typical 27 up, 27 down perfect game. I mean, you walked eight guys, had the bases loaded. So that was one of the coolest no-hitters, I feel like, in Major League history, man. Eight walks, right. no-hitter. That has never happened, for sure. There's no right. way. When, when, they, when they put up the weird, weird stats of baseball, weird, some of the weirdest stats in baseball history, I'd definitely be on that list. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. And I wanted to talk about something else, though, because you, like I said, a lot of firsts here. You're the first ever World Series champ on this podcast, so we need to get the inside scoop here. What was that like to, one, pitch in the World Series, and two, I mean, win the, win the thing, man. I mean, you got a ring. Man, uh, I tell people all the time, man, when you talk about that that year, it gives you chill, chill bumps because numerically we weren't even supposed to be a wild card runner-up. And uh, we end up sneaking in in the wild card. And to go pitch in the World Series, I mean, the pitch in the playoffs is already crazy enough. But the pitch in the World Series, man, that energy is that energy is stupid. Like, it's stupid. I mean, when you're hearing people screaming from play one to, to from out one to out 27, they screaming and they going crazy. And uh, to be the last man standing on the field is indescribable. You know, that that's a feeling. The only thing I can picture it is like when you see little kids win the, the Little League World Series. You know, you turn into a kid, you're throwing hats in the air, you're throwing gloves in the air, you got people crying, you got people screaming, you running full speed from the dugout, from the bullpen to the mound, and everybody's jumping on everybody. It's like you get to turn into a little kid again, man, and that and that's what baseball is about. That's why we get to play the game, you know, and uh, you have the world watching. You know, we did it. We beat everyone that we faced and we're the world's champions. We get to be on the Sports Illustrated magazine as to be piling up on the mound and saying we're number one. That's, Dude, that's a crazy feeling, man. That's what, we, that's what we're here for. It's I, I, it, I couldn't even imagine because you grow up like that when you're a kid. You grow up picturing just pitching in the World Series, man, and not many get to do that, and you kind of got the opportunity to do that. And I wanted to bring this up. On a scale of 1 to 10, 
How sober were you for the parade and for the post-game celebration? Because we got to know here. Were you popping bottles, uh, going like, going J.R. Smith? You know what? I, I don't even remember. That's probably that, that. That's the answer right there. I was, I was, straight, <laughs> I, I don't remember too much. I remember, you know, my wife was pregnant, so she couldn't really enjoy the festivities like that. Uh, and. and so I drink. I think I drank for both of us. You know, I drank for both of us. We had a good time, man. Uh, that's the perfect time to be, perfect excuse to have a hangover and wake up the next day and drink again. You know, <laughs> I feel like that's the only time it's acceptable. Nobody's looking at you and judging. You know, who was the most lit on that team? Because when you look at major league parades or you look at sporting parades, you see J.R. Smith who's lit. You see, I mean, last year Paul, Paul or Marcus Sol with the Raptors was scary drunk. Who was the most lit on the St. Louis Cardinals in 2011? Man, it might have been Ryan Terrio. <laughs> <laughs> either him, or, either him, either him, or Nick Punto, Shredder. We call him the Shredder because he'd come through tearing up jerseys. But one of those two, they probably gave each other a nice run for the money. You know who, who was ready? The both of them dudes, man. They they bring a lot of energy to the team, man. Uh, and, and I feel like it's needed. It's needed on teams. Uh, is you you need a couple dudes that that out there a little bit. <laughs> you need a couple people that are out there a little bit to, to kind of help make things fun. Yeah, no, you definitely do need that. And and during your career, you've played with a lot of guys that let's just say when they're on the field that the female attendance kind of kind of rises a little bit. In so, your opinion, in your opinion, who do you feel like during your career was the biggest like l- fan favorite with the females? And I said this with Tyler Glass. Now I think Tyler Glass now is one of those guys. So, in your opinion, who's a guy that you played with that was like, damn, there's more females in the crowd today? Man, that's, that's a good question. Uh, oh, I'm talking with a lot of teammates, a lot of teams. Um, a fan favorite, GQ Magazine. I always felt like, oh, between Rizzo and Evan Longoria, I feel like, man, I feel like those are like the GQ Magazine-type-esque dudes. You know, both smooth, so cool, cool, calm, and collect. But uh, the, the personalities just is so chill, man. Like Lungo is Lungo. I tell Lungo, you the coolest dude I know, man. <laughs> Lungo is just, he's just super cool. You know, super cool. So you, so Evan Longoria, you said is kind of like just is is he smooth with the females though? Because usually you can be, you can't be smooth with the females when you're kind of uh, that good looking. Lungo is married now, but he, his personality is just so chill. That I think that's what that's what get people. Aside from you know, obviously you have Stanton in Miami. Stanton is Stanton. That that's the king of Miami. Like Stanton was the king of Miami. You know that's that's the guy. He he can go anywhere in the world, and everybody knows who Stanton is if if you halfway watch baseball. But Longo was just cool, man. I never really, I never really hung out with him in that aspect. But his personality, I feel like anybody whose personality is just super chill that people are attracted to it. Exactly, man. And we're going to say the female attendance rise for you, too, because, I mean, I respect that. Well, like we say, if you come on this podcast, you're a straight-up man missile. It means you're above average looking. I mean, the females love it. And like I said, Edmund Jackson, longtime big leaguer. I'm sure the female attendance rose up a little bit when you were playing. So I just wanted to put that on the record. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe just a tick. <laughs> <laughs> and I wanted to go back to something because you played on a crazy good team also, man. I mean... The Tampa Bay Rays, I believe it was in 2008, they make it to the World Series. I wanted to talk about the kind of guy, like the, that, the guys on that team. And you pitched, and I, and I want to talk about a, a field you pitched that, but first I wanted to bring up Carlos Pena. What is that guy like, man? Because he has one of the nicest swings that is so underrated in baseball, man. His swing's beautiful. Yeah, Pena is the, the guy that keeps everybody staying. You know, he's going around, he's super positive, dude. You know, you okay, Poppy? Hey, keep swinging or keep throwing it. Everything is going to be all right. You know, he's like everybody's big brother. So he go, he goes around the clubhouse and he just keep everybody, keep everybody. He's the good conscience. He's everybody's good conscience. Uh, you know, he keep you on track and, and keep you motivated and keep you positive and keep you confident. Uh, that was the best way to describe him, man. Even if you're feeling down, he'd come through and give you a couple words of advice and try to help cheer you up and everything. And here's another fun fact that probably no one really knows is, is like, we've actually met before, low-key. I was, I was a young child. 
I believe it was in 2008, you signed a ball for me when I, at the Rogers Center, or it was, it was called the Sky Dome, I believe. So we kinda, we've kind of been friends for like 12 years now. We have a 12-year friendship going on, man. So I just wanted to put that that's, on the record, too, that we, we got a little friendship going on here. That is dope, man. That, that sounds about right, man. I, I've been so many times. I'm like, all right, last one, last one, last one. And I'm out there all the way damn near up into game time signing autographs still until I really got to go. Like, okay, I got to go now. It's just that's just part of the game, man. I mean, it's, it's for the kids, man. A lot of people don't like to do it. Some people can't do it because they have to get ready. But that's one of the things I've always I've always taken pride in, man. It's just taking a little time out of my schedule to, to make somebody's day. I mean, five seconds make a lifetime impression on someone. It's that simple, literally. Five days can it can make a, a lifetime impression on a kid, and that's kind of the approach that I take. Exactly, man. And that was when I I was 11 years old in 2008. So I was a young buck, just kind of looking up to baseball players and all that kind of stuff. And I believe I met I, I met you, Scott Kashmir, Matt Garza. I, I'm trying to remember who else, bro. But I was like at a loss of words because you were like you were signing so many balls. And like you said, man, it's it's rare to see that in Major League Baseball, man. Do you have any funny stories of fans that have kind of went above and beyond and just done some creepy ass shit? for an autograph or said some out-of-pocket stuff to you? Man, uh, I haven't really had anybody get creepy. Uh, I mean, I've, I've had kids pushing, I've had people pushing kids down to try to get autographs, and that's the part that you're like, hey, man, hold on, man, you're a grown-ass man, and you pushing <laughs> this little kid down to, to run up here and get an autograph. Like, are you for real, bro? Like, you for real? You two times old, the age of this kid, and you pushing him over to get a ball. So I feel like most of my stories haven't been checked checking people about, you know, bomb-rushing little kids to get an autograph. Like, they grown men, and they running over little kids to get an autograph. I'm like, bro, that's the, that's the stuff that I don't really have the patience for. I'm like, man, I understand that you want to get your autograph, but you got to realize, man, this game is for the kids, bro. Like, it's for if that was your kid, and somebody ran over my kid like that trying to get an autograph, it's going to be a problem. <laughs> you know? It's going to be a fade on site. A fade on site. I'm like, bro, come on, man. Think about what you're doing. And so, but I don't really have any crazy, crazy stories. Uh, maybe somebody had me sign a bra one time. That might be like my craziest <laughs> story. I'm like, like for real, like sign a bra. I'm like, man, all right, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, like I said, you've played in a lot of opposing fields, opposing parks. Amir told a funny story of a fan that like that said to him that came out of his hairline, which is hilarious. I mean, fans say funny stuff like that. What's the funniest thing that a fan has ever said to you where you're like, all right, he got my ass on this one? Man, Aha. I don't probably had uh dang. Some funny stuff, because there's been a lot of trash talking, man. I've definitely heard a lot of trash talking. Uh, and when you do get something funny, it is funny. Um, man, it was, um, I'm trying to think, uh, something funny, because most of the stuff I get is it's stupid. You suck, and you brutal, and <laughs> all this. Um, somebody, <laughs> somebody told me, <laughs> somebody told me, uh, it was one day somebody told me I couldn't throw a strike if I was five feet from the mound. And that, the game that, 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 that he was talking about, it was true, too. I was like, hey, you're probably right. I had a dude, uh, I, a lot of time I joke back with people, man. I had a dude to tell me, you know, I, I'm a disgrace to baseball. And I, and I was like, you know what, then well, let's come switch. You come switch. Come switch with me. I'll take the glove. I mean, I'll take the beer and you come take the glove. And why didn't you out here throwing? He's like, hey, somebody got a drink. I was like, if it's that easy, won't you do it? He's like, somebody got a drink of beers, and we both laugh, you know. But it, it, the few, the funny come few far and in between, man. It's been a while since I had heard something that I kind of laugh at and be like, all right, you know, that was kind of funny right there. Okay, yeah. Well, the fans, fan, I respect that fans come up with funny shit, but just saying the stupid, like you're a disgrace, all that kind of stuff is just stupid. Just plain old stupid. Like, it's just dumb. Uh, I like to talk back at them, too. I like to turn back in respect, obviously, but, I mean, that's where we grew up. But where I come from, you grew up joking. If you couldn't joke, you weren't going to last too long in school. So when you, you start joking back at people and then people start laughing at them, kind of kind of go into a shell a little bit like, damn, I wasn't expecting them to joke back. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'll tell you, I did, I had a dude, I had a dude when I was with Oakland and we were um, in New York. A dude called me a cheater. And he's like, bro, you suck. 
you already got caught cheating. And I'm like, I got caught cheating. And he was calling me Irvin Santana. You know? so he, I'm like, bro, I'm like, you in here talking shit at the game and you, you talking shit about me and you don't even know my name. You don't even, you calling me somebody else and you talking trash. And his homeboy is like, no, no, it's not him. And he just said <laughs> talking, you suck, you're a cheater. You got caught using steroids. And I'm like, dog. And I'm like, bro, you, you don't even know my name. He's like, yeah, you so-and-so. And his boys just look like, damn. <laughs> like, bro, at least you can talk, man. Have your facts, bro. Right? Have, your, have your names right. At least you're going to talk shit to me. Have my name right, who I am. Ooh, but uh, yeah, he, he kind of he snuck back in the, in the crab shell after that. He, he was kind of embarrassed a little bit. I would too, man, because they don't expect you to say something back. And speaking about fans that are crazy, this is a two-part question. Is you pitched in, I believe it was the ALDS or CS against the Boston Red Sox at Fenway, and you absolutely carved. I mean, zero ERA again, whatever, not a big deal. So what was that like to pitch at Fenway, man? I mean, in the playoffs, the fans are ruthless. That was dope, man. And honestly, I was still kind of mad from not being on the first round, so I was really out. I was really out to prove a point because uh, <laughs> I felt like I had 14 wins and I wasn't on the first round roster. So I kind of feel like I got kind of uh, snowed a little bit. So, I mean, that was probably some of the hardest balls that I threw all year in, in one one single game um, just because it was, a, it was a lot of it's a lot of madness behind those pitches. But to go in there and beat Boston when they whooped our ass so many years, I felt good because, I mean, we had a lot of years with Boston League. Going there and just, I hated hearing Sweet Caroline. It was to the point where I hated hearing the song because it brought back bad memories. <laughs> you get PTSD, bro. You get PTSD from hearing no, Sweet Caroline. Hear that song. You hear that song and you're like, damn, here it is. Like, man, I hate that song, man, because it just brought back the memories of us getting beat down in Boston. So to go and beat up on them, man, it felt, it felt real good. What I wanted to ask you again was, and that question is, like, what is the crate, like, the worst fans in baseball that, like, not, like, rooting for you wise, but the most ruthless? Amir said the Cubs. Amir said the Cubs fans are the most ruthless fans in baseball. Man, the Cubs, the Cubs, I've seen it. I've seen the Cubs have some home players scared to get to take the field. I've seen the Cubs <laughs> have some at home, and and they so they stand up and boo. I mean, I went through it a little bit, but they couldn't really shake me. And I, I, I I'm like, hey, whatever. But I've seen them have some dudes that are home team players that scared to take the ball because they getting booed by the home team fans. Uh, Philly, Philly is ruthless. Um, New York is bad. Toronto, man, listen here. Toronto is a hockey. Hockey City, Toronto would come in there and they were real baseball players just because it's a bunch of hockey. It's a bunch of hockey players. It's hockey fans. I've seen Toronto get under people's skin sometimes too. <laughs> Here we kind of grow up just chirping each other on the ice and hockey, and meeting that stereotype that Americans think that all we do is play hockey. But you, we got some witty ass smart chirps that we say to people. I feel yeah. like we're maybe top five in professional sports and chirping athletes. And I, man, Toronto, I'm not one of them, but I'm Toronto, just saying. Toronto is some chirping, man. You, you got to do is, hey, play a real man's game. Play a real man's sport. You play baseball. Like, you play baseball. Hey, play a real man's sport. <laughs> it's like, and you know, the bullpen is how you, you sit up top. So you sit up top in the bullpen, and you right by the stands. You right out there by the stands. I mean, you can hear people. Also, I done heard some crazy stuff in Toronto as well, my friend. From some hockey players, obviously they probably come to the game just to go catch a game. But you can tell they hockey players just from the from the lingo they saying and stuff they saying. But uh, nah, it's it's fun though, man. I embrace it. I like the trash talking. It comes with sports, you know. The trash talking either either you you accept it and you like it, and just people get disrespectful, and then uh, and then it's a different level. But I mean, you're supposed to come to the fans. You're supposed to come to the game to talk trash. That's what you're there for, you know. And what was your time like? being on the home side in Toronto because a lot of people like playing here, man, because it's more low-key. You know what I mean? You're not really in the mainstream of the media in the U.S. Like, if you're struggling a little bit, you're not really getting roasted by ESPN. What was your time kind of like here in Toronto, even though it was kind of short? I had fun in Toronto, man. I I feel it was dope. Uh, Man, my family had a good time. Man, there's good food in Toronto. The food in Toronto, the city, just the the scenery, just taking the kids out and walk around, walk around downtown, man. It's dope. I've always liked Toronto. I mean, there's a lot of people that love coming to Toronto. 
um, you know, to play. But uh, I think I think the main thing was to just um, living in a culture, seeing the culture on a daily basis, and and seeing how people live instead of just coming in for three three days or so and getting out. You know, being able to embrace the culture a little bit and um, you know accept it. And also, I think the craziest thing about Toronto is you forget that you're playing for a country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not playing for a city like you actually playing for the, the the country of Canada. Like if you ball out in in Toronto, you ball you balling out for the country. Like it's the only baseball team in the whole country. It's dope. So you kind of forget that at times. You have to sit back and be like, damn, I'm not just playing for a city. I'm playing for the country. <laughs> you know. And that's what makes Toronto, I feel like, and most will say it's not like a like a sexy destination for free agents to go to, man, but. If you ball out here in Toronto, like if you look at the past guys like Jose Bautista, Josh Donaldson, those guys can go wherever they want here and they'll get unlimited drinks, unlimited food for free. It doesn't matter with those guys because they're legends here, man, anywhere they go in Canada. And I feel like that's what separates yeah, Toronto from Pilar. other markets. Everybody loves Pilar. You see, you see so many Pilar jerseys and Bautista. Like you say, they're staples of Toronto. They're staples. Like they can come back in at any point. And it's like, boom, open doors. <laughs> it's open doors for what they did for the city, you know? It, it is crazy. It, and honestly, and like, that's why it kind of ma- makes players like want to stay here. Like, Strowman wanted to stay here, obviously, guys like that. It's because, man, if you ball out here, you might get a statue all over the country. Like, like it's just plain and simple. It's crazy. It's like, it's crazy the amount of love that you get. And, you, and like I say, people forget that you're playing for the country. And that's yeah. what it is. If you play it on a... I've had so many people like, bro, you you be on playoffs here and playoffs there, but come to a playoff in Toronto and be playing in the playoffs. It's like, bro, it's like anything that you haven't seen. It's it's like it's crazy. And, like, and like, you I don't see, care what kind of scenery you've seen in baseball. Be in the playoff team in Toronto. <laughs> and if you see, like, if you watched what happened with the Raptors, man, did you see that parade? I was at that parade. There was apparently two million people there. Like, picture what it'd be for the Blue Jays, man. Crazy, like crazy, and I, and I stayed downtown. Uh, so from the from the condo I was in, um, you can see kind of over there. It was crazy, man. It was it was crazy, dude. And, and a couple other things that I wanted to bring up here is because, like I said, man, you you're a, you're a popular guy. You played with a lot of players. This is an off field question that I wanted to bring up. Who's the most famous contact that Edwin Jackson has in his cell phone right now? Who's the guy that's like, this guy's a showstopper that you have in your contact list? The most famous. I don't know. Maybe Matt Kemp. Damn. <laughs> hey, that may, be, that may be the ladies' man right there, too. That may be, because he was in L.A. at the time. That may be, he might have the ladies' man, he might have the lady man vote. He was definitely a ladies' man. That man was L.A. He was L.A. <laughs> You would, you would think that guy was, was like a movie man. star, bro. You would never think he was a baseball player if you saw him at the club. Because he had, he was just, he dressed well. He was just flashy. I mean, everyone was like, damn, who's that guy? You know what I mean? Like, even if you don't know anything about baseball, he was that guy in L.A. That's, that's like my little brother, man. I mean, I knew him when he, coming up, he didn't have much. He used to borrow my car to go places. Hey, let me borrow your car. Let me borrow your car. Let me borrow your car. I was like, man, I knew you and you were Matthew. Now you Matt Kent, you know, <laughs> but uh, no, nah, that's that's my dog. That may be the ladies' man right there. That's that's probably who had he had the whole city, like he literally had the city of L.A. <laughs> where he can do whatever he wants, you know. He's the kind of guy that you go out with on the like if you play on the same team as him. He's the kind of guy you go out with and you just pick up the girls that he rejects because they're still rockets. You know what I'm saying? If you're single, you go out with him. It's cool, but the thing is, he pretty. He's pretty low-key, man. He's pretty chill. I mean, a lot of people, maybe they like the attention a little bit, but he's not necessarily calling for the attention. He want to go out and just have a good time. He try to stay low-key, but he can't. You know, it's hard for him to be low-key. But, uh, no, he's he pretty low-key, dude. I wanted to ask you, who do, who do you think is the funniest player that you've ever played with in Major League Baseball? Like, the best jester in the locker room that kept everyone loose? Octavio Dotel. Damn, that was quick, man. Octavio Dotel is the craziest dude. I mean, he'd come in after a loss, after a win. Don't worry, Dotel is here. Hey, <laughs> Dotel. I mean, you coming in and after a loss, people might be quiet, and he coming in loud and hey, ready to go. You know that dude right there. Is, that dude right there is a fire starter, man. Um, that dude right there, funny. He, he a funny dude. 
and, and his you, voice is naturally loud. So he just that's just who he is. You need those kind of guys on the team, man. I was one of those guys. Like I said, I didn't perform, but I was a jester in the locker room. I kept everyone loose. So he performed, though. So he had best of both worlds, right? Yeah, that dude right there, man. Special dude. Special guy. Who's the best hitter you've ever faced? And is it Mike Trout, man? Because Mike Trout is a dog. One of the best ever. In my, he's the best ever, in my opinion. Barry Bonds. Not, again, that was quick, man. Barry Bonds. I mean, Barry Bonds is Barry Bonds. <laughs> <laughs> Barry Bonds, Barry Bonds is, is literally Barry Bonds, man. That dude. And, and you didn't want to face him. Like, in, when, when he was in San Fran, you, you didn't want to face Barry Bonds. Like, you couldn't throw him anything that he couldn't hit. That's, that's, that's the hardest hitter that I've faced um, in my career, I'll have to say. Did you give up a bomb against him? Did, you, did, did he put you in the cove? Uh, he didn't. I, I walked him, I hit him, and I struck him out. <laughs> so he's 0 for 1 against you with a K. Yeah. So that's good, too. Walked him, hit him, struck him out. How intimidating is that? How intimidating is that seeing that big body step up to the mound or step up to the plate? And also, we had that little cross earring going on, too. So you gave up a home run. If he hits a bomb off, you're giving up a home run. He has little cross earrings jiggling around the bases. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to feel like you're the best on the field, regardless if you, even if you aren't. You know, that's the attitude you have to have. Everybody you're facing, you got to feel like you're better than him. And and if you don't, then you've already lost the battle. You know, if you've already lost the battle. I think that's what makes the great pitchers good, that people are already intimidated before they even face him. So mentally, they've already lost the battle. And that's half of, that's half of the battle right there. You know, so you have to approach everyone with a FU attitude pretty much. Like, here it is. I don't care who you are, what you can do. And obviously, you know what people can do, but you just have to attack everyone. I mean, obviously, you, you want to be smart, but you can't be afraid. You also, I mean, you could swing it a little bit too, my man. I mean, two bombs in the show, two home runs. What was running through your head when you hit those balls, man? Because, I mean, a pitcher steps up to the plate. He's, it, it, it's kind of an embarrassing thing to watch. But my man, Edwin Jackson, has two doinks. Uh, I felt like, honestly, I felt, I felt like I should be able to hit a home run being drafted a position player. Uh, I was drafted an outfielder, so I've always felt like I can swing it a little bit. Uh, I feel like I should have more. That's how I look at it. Like, how do you feel about two home runs? Like, I feel like I should have more. <laughs> you know, <laughs> honestly, I've had time split up in different leagues, uh, about half and half between both leagues. But that's the fun part of the game, man. Uh, Get in the run of bases and hit, and, and obviously help yourself and slide and take out people in second. That's what, that's what I love to do, man. I love to be an athlete. Uh, pinch runs in playoffs, pinch runs in World Series. Uh, I got a lot of pinch runs. I've been pinch running my whole life since I've been <laughs> in, the, in the National League. I've been pinch running, and uh, that's that's what I live for. If you know me, they'll tell you he's ready for it. He's a pitcher, but he's only a pitcher by label. If you look at him, he, he's an athlete, and that's how I want to be looked at as an athlete. Yeah, see, and I honestly didn't even know you're dropped as an outfielder. That makes you even more a baller, to be honest. I mean, out, outfielder switch to pitcher. But this uh, is the second. This is the second last thing that I wanted to bring up. I'm going to name a major league city, and you say like the first word that comes to your mind when you when you hear this city, because these are cities that you played in. <laughs> All right, the first one is Detroit. Uh, motor City, the Motor City, the Motor history behind it. Yeah, okay. Okay, I love Detroit, man. It's grimy, blue-collar. Yeah. I mean, the fans there get blackout drunk every game. It's incredible. I love it. Detroit. It's a good hockey city, too, huh? Yeah, it it's... is. It is. And then this is the this is the city where you kind of started your major league career, L.A. Oh, bright lights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you're in the spotlight. Hollywood, man. There's a bright lights in L.A., literally. And I couldn't even imagine what was running through your head. You're a 20 year old pit. You're 20 year old, man. You're 20 years old. You're pitching, and there's just a list celebrities in the in the crowd watching you pitch, man. That's crazy shit going on there. That's crazy. Watching Hugh Hefner come to the games and sit front row. <laughs> you know, every day a different celebrity. It's like, dang. Okay, this the big leagues. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Yeah, and the next one I want to bring up is 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 like a a major league favorite place, Chicago, man. What was it like in Chicago? Man, Chicago is the best city in the summertime. Chicago is a dope city in the summertime, man. Uh, it's a lot of stereotype on Chicago from the negativity, but uh, I mean, there's not too many people that I hear say bad things about Chicago, man, from the food to the shopping to the scenery to the atmosphere. 
Chicago's a dope city. It's a dope yes, city. Sir. I love Chicago. Yes, sir. Then the, the, se- the second last one is Oakland. I love Oakland, too. Oh, Bay Area. Yeah. Bay Area is just, Oakland is Oakland. When you hear Oakland, you think Oakland. <laughs> Oakland, <laughs> is, is, Oakland is its own place, man. Oakland is its own place. I mean, you think you, you're talking about the dancing, you got the music culture, um, the history behind Oakland. Uh, when I hear Oakland, I think Oakland. I think Bay, that I, the capital of Bay Area. Capital yeah. of Bay Area. Man, I, I love, cause, because when I was kind of growing up, that was when, like, everyone was, I mean, you had Eric Chavez there. I don't know if you remember Eric Chavez. That's an old name. I can't believe yeah. I even remember Chavez. that, man. I can't, I can't even believe I remember that name, to be honest. But you had those kind of guys, and they were kind of nasty. I mean, you had Mark Mulder, I believe, or Muller, I think his name is. Dan Heron. You had Tim Hudson. You had yeah. Timmy. Tim Hudson was there. You had Heron, Mulder, Zito. Ooh, Charlie. They were dogs, man. That team was – they were dogs, bro. I, lo- I love that team, to be honest, man. They were one of my Listen, favorites man, growing I up. I had a blast in Oakland. Like I had, I had man, people like, hey, how was it in Oakland? Was it terrible? I'm like, nah, man, Oakland was dope. Hey, I still love going to Oakland, man. I, Oakland was one of my favorite places to play. We had, we had, we had, we had I love the vibes there. Everyone, I mean, everyone says that. And this is, this is the last thing I wanted to bring up because, like I said, we, we don't break news on this podcast, but you're, like I said, your career, you're kind of on the tail end of your career here as you get a little bit older. Uh, this is the two part question here. The yeah. first question is, can we put on the record? That one, this is the most electric podcast you've ever done, and two, that when your career's over, I- I'm offering you a, a part-time position to be the co-host on this podcast. Just a little part-time <laughs> position going on here. Edwin yeah. Jackson and Johnny June to going at it. Hey, no, nah, this is a dope podcast, man. It's been super, it's been super dope, man. It's been super relaxing. I have a lot of fun, man. In a part-time position, that's that's funny you say that, man, because everybody asks me, "You gonna do a podcast when you retire? You gonna do podcast?" You know, like, I don't know, man. I guess I could. I could do a podcast. He's like, you have the personality for it. Everybody rock with you. You can get anybody on your show. They're going to come deal with you, man. But who knows? We might, I might have to take you up on that one day. We might have and to like, take you up. <laughs> and, like, I, I'm not a businessman, but you know what I'm saying here? I mean, I would give you 90%. I would just take 10%. I, I'm a team <laughs> guy. I'm a the team, the team, the team. Whatever we make on this podcast, you get 90, I get 10. And that's what we're going to put on the record. Never- Hey, never give your business away. You first got to say, okay, 5149. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. And, and people write this down. People remember this. When Edwin Jackson retires, I offered him a, full, a part-time position on the officially unofficial podcast, 90 to 10% equity in the brand. And it's going to happen. I mean, we already got it going here. 12-year friendship. Nah, I don't. I might have to hold you to it, but I wouldn't even allow myself to take 90%. I said, <laughs> no, I wouldn't be able to. We, hey, we would have to reconstruct that negotiation. You know what I'm saying? Have to reconstruct that deal, but nah, this is a dope. This is a dope podcast, man. I love being on here. I love being on here. The quarantine didn't allow me some little free time to just come on and, and rock with different people. You know, like uh, I, rock, rock with different people on the podcast, man. I love it. And that's why I needed you on, man. Because, like I said, we try to get stories out of people. You know, like we try to show the personalities of players. And I'm, not, I don't like I said, man. I mean, uh, baseball's cool and all that, but I kind of like the off-field stuff. I want to hear yeah. about. I want to hear about funny trips. I mean, you getting dressed up as a cigar girl, Hooters girl. That's funny shit, man. People want to hear that. You feel me? Yeah, I'm telling you the little, the little, little insight into the real world. Let me introduce me. Take me into a little real life stuff of you, stuff that you don't hear every day, aside from like the gameplay, man. Some stories. Exactly, man. And, and the last re- request that I have here is, like I said, with the breaking news. When you're getting close to that retirement time, I mean, we're gonna give you the platform on this podcast to announce it. We're going to say screw ESPN's Dunzo. As reported from the officially unofficial podcast, Edwin Jackson retires, and that's it. Then it's over. Then you got to hop on this thing, and we're going to get this popping. We're going to be all over the airwaves. I might have you. I might give you three or four more years. I'm getting asked that all the time. When are you going to stop? When are you going to stop? I'm like, I don't know. This quarantine has been the closest thing to retirement I've felt in a, in a while. You know? and, and- yeah, it's hard to walk away from the game, man. Like I said, you still got juice in the tank. I was watching you last year with the Jays. My man hit 97. My man hit 97 on the gun. I was watching that. I was like, damn, this guy's throwing heat. Still got a little bit in the tank, man. Still got a little bit in the tank. And there it is, man. And like I said, it was a pleasure to do this. A goat of the game of baseball, man. A legend. The most storied guy in baseball. I mean, 17 years, 14 teams. He's been around the block. Like I said, his his baseball reference page is like a Bible. It's just full of teams, <laughs> full of stats. 
He's 2011 World Series champ, all-star. He threw a no-hitter. He's my boy, 12-year friendship, potential co-host on this show. I'm leaving the seat open for him. It's my boy, man, Edwin Jackson. Bro, I appreciate you doing this, man. It means a lot. Oh, no, dog, man. It was a pleasure coming out here, man. I had a good time. I had a good time kicking it with you, clowning. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Officially Unofficial Pod. Thank you. <laughs>